It's an incredibly hard thing to do. It's communication. It's like, what are the best authors incredible at doing? They're incredible at telling stories that have broad appeal, like taking something complex and explaining it in a way that's interesting to everyone. So I think it's a learned skill. I think we shouldn't gloss over I that. Agree. It's a really hard skill to learn. And the way you learn that is you practice things like writing, you practice things like telling that story over video. And also there's some ego in it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, is. you're smart. We get it. We don't need to know how smart you are. We actually just need you to tell us this in the most simplistic terms. Before we get into the show, I want to tell you about HubSpot for startups. If you are an early stage startup and you're trying to grow, you have to check out our HubSpot for startups program. You can get up to 90% off your first year of your HubSpot subscription. Plus, you will get access to incredible education and events. With HubSpot, you can run your entire startup from marketing sales and customer success all on HubSpot. You can increase your leads, boost revenue, and improve your customer experience. HubSpot for startups help you do it all. Plus, you will get 24-7 customer support and integrations with more than 1,500 of today's most popular apps. HubSpot is trusted by some of the most successful startups and more than 200,000 companies around the world. To see if you're eligible to join the HubSpot for Startups program and take your growth to the next level, visit hubspot.com startups. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Green. Your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. I am your host, Kit Bodner, joined, as always, by my friend and co-host from the other side of the pond, Kieran Flanagan. Today on the show, for everybody watching, we are going to talk about seven first principles that Kieran and I use in our lives every day that will transform your marketing. We've used these for years. I think this could be one of our best episodes ever. We have one other episode on first principles, just generally for life back in the back catalog. Go check that out. But today we are talking all about these seven principles that are going to change how you grow your business, how you do marketing today. Are you ready, Kieran? Yes. I'm going to start with my favorite first principle of marketing of all time. And every time I tell it to somebody, a little light bulb goes off in their head. You ready, Kieran? It is. Don't make something if you don't know how to distribute it. I'm going to say it again. Don't make something unless you know how to distribute it. Too many marketers out there, market-minded people out there, they make a cool video, but then they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this video. Or they write an awesome article, but they're like, oh, where am I going to publish this? What's going on? That is the biggest waste of time ever. You have to say, I want to reach these people. What is the best way to reach these people? And how do I create a custom piece of information for whatever channel we're using? That is first principle number one. What do you think? I live and die by this. So this is, uh, <laughs> you know, distribution led. And so you really have to think about, okay, well, how does this person consume this thing? Whatever yeah. that thing may be, it can be from events all the way through to a media ad. But the thing that is most important is discovery. Like if I can figure out the discovery and build for discovery, then I'm going to be way more successful. And that is the thing that I ask people all of the time. So I try to figure out like, how will someone actually find this all the way through the customer journey? You will be shocked out there if you just take a minute to use this principle of how much work is being spent on things that will never, ever see the light of the day more than like 10 people, right? <laughs> like 10, 20, 30 people are going to see this thing. And on the rare occasion that it's a very specific type of audience, that's okay. But the vast majority of time, that's a complete waste of time. 
right? Right. And you have to have the principle up front of saying like, before we make anything, how are we going to get this into the world? And why does this need to be out there in the world? Right. I have done this as well. So take it from someone who has done this, who built a tool and then realized that I hadn't thought about any kind of distribution mechanics. It's a perfect example of like, you had this really good idea, you knew it would be cool, but you didn't have a plan to get it out there. And so you spend all this time developing it and like all that money and effort, and then basically nobody used it. So nobody it just, used it. Well, <laughs> n- nice little pet project. But again, a perfect yeah. example of first principle number one. Don't make something unless you know how you're going to distribute it. All right, first principle number two coming into you. Kieran, this is another one of my favorites. Be 10 times more valuable than the competition. Drop it one more time. Be 10 times more valuable than the competition. How do you interpret that? Okay, so let me take you down like memory lane because this is how I think about this one. I come in to marketing through the warrior form. I think I've talked about that before, which is this kind of murky, I don't think it's murky, but like it sells a lot of these kind of, you know, direct sales, how to get to be a millionaire, how to write copy to- I would call that sketch. sketchy. It's sketchy. I'll, it's yeah, sketchy. I'll give you that. It's definitely sketchy. And there's like these incredible copywriters. It's this guy called Frank Kern, look him up. He's like one of the goats. He can make you do anything from a copyright perspective, but like all a bit of a sketchy world, but I bought lots of them. <laughs> and there was this one I bought, I think a guy was called Even Page or something like, he actually made all his money in the data <laughs> niche, but he did <laughs> how to like sell products and make money. But one thing he said actually was pretty good, which is you need to think about how you continue to move to free line to disrupt your competitors. And what he means by that is like what you thought was normal in terms of giving away for free and valuable, continue to move that line. And so no one else can compete with you. It's that that value exchange. And the 10X is kind of like moving the free line to such a degree that no one else can actually compete with you because you're giving away such things of value for free that everyone else is kind of charging money for, but you have to have the ability to create the business around that, right? Like you actually have to have something that you can sell them and make a bunch of money on. But that's how I think about that, which is if you can move that free line to such an extent that it's nearly impossible for anyone else to follow you. And a good example is freemium companies bring in, continue to bring things into free to kill the lower end of the market. That's like moving the free line. Yeah. Look, Kieran just gave everybody a great product-led growth way of thinking about this principle, which is, well, if you've got a freemium product, got to keep pushing more and more value to that free product. I think about this even more broadly than that, where like everything in your marketing has to be 10 times more valuable. Meaning like, is your homepage 10 times more valuable? Whether that be because the message is clear, it's easier to navigate, what have you. You know, at HubSpot, we've built a big business around educating others through content, which means you have to create education for free that's way more valuable than education people would even pay for right? And that delta of value, if you have low conversion rates in your marketing is because what you are offering is not valuable enough. Tell you that right now, Kieran, like for example, you and I have looked at more conversion rate optimization tests than I would say most people on this planet. And what is the number one thing that changes the conversion rate more than anything else? It is the offer. It's what you're offering, right? Like you can change the text, the button color, where it lands on the page, whatever. And that all makes small improvements. But the thing you're offering can change your conversion rate a couple hundred percent, right? If you just offer something way more valuable than folks are used to getting, right? Right. I think it's the unexpected. I always think, what is something that somebody pays $500, dollars for or spends a lot, a lot of time doing that I can give them for free and cost them no time? right? That's like my proxy for like the 10x value. But if you obsess about giving 10x value to your audience, wow, your entire marketing will change 
And it shouldn't be just about your marketing to Kieran's point. It should be about your product and pricing strategy and how you keep giving away immense, immense value. You see this happening in AI, actually. Like, that's why OpenAI are kind of winning the race, right? Because they're the only company that can give away immense value for free because they can take the credits of Microsoft and take that 3 million hit, whatever it is per week, to yeah. run a freemium version of that tool. No one else can do that. No one else can do it. And that's how they're getting massive scale. And they're, they're going to end up being the short-term leader in that category, which is awesome. All right, first principle number three. You ready for this one, Kieran? Another favorite. Relevance is greater than perfection. And I'll, I'll give you a my take on what I mean by this. Relevance greater than perfection means that in marketing and building a brand, it's more important to be timely and on trend than it is to be pixel perfect. And if you move slow and wait for perfection, you will just not be relevant in the zeitgeist, in the culture of your industry. And that will cause you to have apathy from your potential customers and largely be irrelevant. So perfection ends in being irrelevant. So the opposite of that is, how do I drive relevance? It is be agile and ship things and test things without being perfect, perfect, perfect. Do you agree with this one, Kieran? This is kind of a controversial one. What's your take? Let's workshop something. Actually, there's oh, something let's going do it. on. So actually, I'm trying to think through a two by two, which is relevance and design. The fight between those two things, right? Timely and relevant versus, you say pixel perfect, but some sort of guardrails in terms of how good your design needs to be, right? Some sort of brand mm -hmm. style guide or whatever it needs to adhere to. So how do you think about those two things, right? Let me give you a really great place that we can go to. So let's say paid advertising, right? In all of my different time spent with some of the best people in the world in paid advertising, you continually find that the ads for some reason that perform pretty well uh, have really bad design, right? Like back yeah. in the day in HubSpot, we found like some of the worst pixelated design used to perform really great for the metrics that we we're measuring through paid advertising. And so you have this friction, right? Which is like, you can move much, much faster because you can do like low cost design, but it kind of doesn't represent the brand you want to be. So how do you straddle yeah. those two things in terms of like timely and relevance and keeping some sort of guardrails around the brand you want to be? This is a good workshop topic. So one of the things that you're kind of hitting on here is differentiation. The reason ugly ads work is because it looks different than different. everything else in that timeline, especially if you're talking like Facebook ads or Instagram ads, right? In the world of like brand guidelines and brand adherence, what happens is that ads, even for different companies, look pretty similar, right? Like there's not that different. And so I think the best way to actually break out is you have to say, cool, I have some basic brand guidelines, but my in-creative has to be wildly different than what people see in the scroll and have it be somewhat tied to the brand, right? Like, man, maybe you don't use the most pixelated art, but how can you test different brand formats that are wildly different than uh, the other ad units that are out on that platform is where we've tried to find the balance. It's not perfect, but it's, I think, the path you have to go down. So let's say your benchmark is just, if there's a person in the video, there's good lighting, it looks professional. <laughs> yeah. And then as long as the image adheres to that benchmark, you can go pretty fast and iterate through different iterations on it. But I think that if you just look at the numbers, I think one of the things we put up as a test. Oh, I remember this. A fried egg or something. Like, is this something ridiculous? And it was like, I, but you don't know if the reason it, it, it's so different than people click on it, but the value of those clicks are like, unless you're measuring direct revenue, but if you're measuring something like engagement, Leaves. then you don't know if the engagement is like good engagement or just like, curiosity. <laughs> and totally. it's hard to distinguish between those two things when you're widely different. Yeah, but th I think this is a great example of what we're saying that when relevance is over perfection. And part of the reason is perfection, you don't get enough feedback when you're trying to make something perfect. And then 
the other thing which we just kind of covered is perfection also normally lends to sameness because you go follow that best practice yeah, trap, yeah, you yeah. know, and then you just get end up in the sea of sameness with pixel perfect, which is the exact opposite of what you're trying to accomplish, right? You're like, oh, I want this to be perfect so that we stand out, but the actual exact opposite happens. And I think that's really right. hard for people, especially earlier in their marketing journey, to get their head around. We'll be right back. But let me tell you about a podcast from our network, Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes, exploring the psychology of influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the art of intelligence, this episode is hacked with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I got my next one, Kieran. This is an important one. First principle number four is simplify, repeat, simplify, repeat. <laughs> That's the name of the game with marketing. You have to do the most simple distillation of the product message, of the article, of the podcast story, whatever you're working on. That is the key. And then once you simplify that message and everybody gets it, you got to repeat the hell out of it. Repetition matters, especially like on internal teams, getting internal teams aligned. You have to say the same message over and over and over again. But you have to do the same thing to your customers. If you want your customers to think differently about them, you have to give them a simple message that they can keep in their head and you have to repeat it to them over and over and over again. I think this is probably the most important one we'll cover for people who really want to have a well-functioning team. Yes. There's a real art to simplification. I just don't people understand it. I think it's something that I try to do and I don't think I am more class at it and I try to get better at it all of the time. But there's a skill set in being able to distill something down into like a simplistic concept or a simplistic mantra that the team can really understand. One of the questions I've started asking people in interviews even is like, take one or two minutes, think about something that is kind of complex, a framework or model, a metric or something you believe is truly valuable and try to teach me that in like two to three minutes because you're trying to figure out if that person can take something and communicate it in a way where the average person can understand because that really matters within growing companies. Like there's all of this internal knowledge that different people have or different functions have, and they spew it out in meetings mm -hmm. <laughs> to other people. And everyone's like too afraid to say like, what the hell does any of this <laughs> even mean? <laughs> right? And so like the art of being able to like simplify that and then the art of being able to like repeat why that is important. Brian Halligan, we've talked about that before. I think that was yeah. one of the things I really took from working with him. He's just incredible at like, here's the simple thing. And he's in every meeting and everyone kind of knows, oh, as soon as he gets off his chair, he's going to draw that on the whiteboard and make sure that people reinforce that again. And it's to the point where you're like, we get it. We get, That's what you want. Like, you want like, <laughs> totally. yeah, we get it. Yeah, you we get it. Like, yeah, you, you, you want to get to that point. So one of the things you and I, you know, sometimes we'll text back and forth about people. We're not perfect. We're happy to admit this. And... We'll often call somebody a simplifier or a complexifier. 
you know, we might meet somebody who we're thinking about working with and we're like, oh man, I don't know. They're a real complexifier. And what do we mean? Like, what is the difference between a simplifier and a complexifier? I will tell you my perfect question to identify whether somebody is a simplifier or a complexifier. What I do is I say, hey, imagine you were in a room with 300 random people and you had to do something that you would be verifiably better at than those 300 people in front of all of them. And so normally you get like, producer Darren would say like, I'm a good guitar player. I can play that guitar in front of 300 people because I've been in bands and everything. And so that makes total sense, right? And then that's awesome. That's part one of the question. Part two of the question is, great. Can you explain to me how to play the guitar, right? Because what you want to do is find something that somebody knows so intimately and make them explain it to you And normally it's something you have no frame of reference for, right? And if they can do it so that you can start nodding your head and getting it, wow, they're a real simplifier. If they start with all these intricate details, you're like, oh, you're a complexifier. You don't know how to really distill information yet. That's not a skill you have built. Right. It's like, do you reduce work or do you increase work? (laughs) And I think people who overcomplicate things increase work because everyone's trying to figure out what the hell they mean. And I think people who are very able to simplify things reduce work. So those are a couple of our simple questions to get down to like how you simplify. Kieran, what do you think the blockers are for somebody being able to simplify a story, whether it be for their team or for their customers? Like, what do you think gets in people's way? It's an incredibly hard thing to do. It's communication. It's like, what are the best authors incredible at doing? They're incredible at telling stories that have broad appeal, like taking something complex and explain it in a way that's interesting to everyone. So I think it's a learned skill. I think we shouldn't gloss over that. It's a really hard skill to learn. And the way you learn that is you practice things like writing, you practice things like telling that story over video. And also there's some ego in it, right? Like, <laughs> there is. yeah, you're smart. We get it. We don't need to know how smart you are. We actually just need you to tell us this in the most simplistic terms. And I think some people overcomplicate things because they want to demonstrate, I'm actually incredibly smart, just so you know. <laughs> so here I'm going to bamboozle you with all this bullshit. But you actually don't need to know any of this, but hey, you're going to really feel like inferior to me. But I want to like caveat that. I don't think all people do it because of that. I think it's really just a learn skill. No, no, no. Don't don't caveat that. Don't caveat that. (laughs) I believe that insecurity and complexity are like best friends and they hold hands walking down the hallway. I think if you make things really complex, it is because you are insecure Mm. and you want to feel smart and you want other people to know how smart you are when really the truest sign of intelligence is a clear, simple distillation of something, right? Right. But I think so much complexity is actually rooted in insecurity. I think it actually takes a lot of confidence to be able to dumb down the things that you know into very simplistic terms. It just takes confidence. Like I'm very confident within myself. Like here's all you need to know the unfiltered version or the unbullshit version. Okay, that's a good note to end the simplify repeat principle on. It's a big one, especially if you're trying to lead internal teams. All right, number five, this is one of our favorites, Kieran. I'm interested to see kind of what you think your modern day interpretation is because it's one we've used for a decade and knowing each other. It is don't be average, win the internet. Don't be <laughs> average, win the internet. What does that mean to you? It's a force and function to think bigger than you originally had thought. Like take the original idea, go away and extrapolate on it. Like make it much, much bigger. I still think that a lot of that is in the differentiation. What that really means is think big, but also like just don't replicate the things that everyone else is doing because that is not the path to win the internet. It kind of ties into a bunch of things. How do you create meaningful amount of value that you're going to get grab people's attention? How do you do something differentiated that it feels new? And how do you do it on a big enough scale that it's meaningful? 
Yeah, I think that one of the hardest things about growing and being a successful marketer, a successful marketing-minded person is to push yourself on what's achievable, right? And when you say win the internet, what I really mean is for your market, like let's say you're in insurance or you're in manufacturing, whatever your market is, you want to be the topic of conversation in the internet that week, right? That's what winning the internet looks like. And then once you have that very simple goal, then you can go back and say, what do I need to do? What type of story do I need to create? How do I need to distribute that story? Who do I need to partner with to drive influence and conversation around that story? All of those things. But I remember, Kieran, so many times that you and I would go back and forth and we're like, oh, this is good, but won't win the internet, right? Like, Or, oh, if we did this other crazy thing, then maybe we actually might have a chance to win, for us, what was the marketing internet, right? We were just trying to win the marketing right. internet every week. And that was the game that we were trying to play. It's the creativity as well. I remember we came up with things like, it was actually before Snapchat. So I kind of did invent Snapchat before Snapchat was Snapchat. <laughs> I love that Kieran's revisionist history around Snapchat yeah. and, and inventing it. But I did a disappearing content. You did do a disappearing offer day, that you, you had to claim that guide within like 24, 24 hours, hours, right? Right. How'd that go? Uh, average. <laughs> I know, that's why I that did not Sorry, win the internet. I just want to be a jerk. No, no, it didn't win the internet. But we did have a lot of things that did. And with this we first principle, it's really important to kind of be a forcing function and holding your team accountable and like thinking about the problems in a big enough way. Avoid being average, win the internet. One of my favorites, one that we've used for a long, long time. All right, we have two first principles left. My sixth first principle for everybody in today's show is apathy is the worst outcome of marketing. Repeat that again. Apathy is the worst outcome of marketing. Apathy is the absence of care, right? People may like you, they may hate you. Worse than either one of those things is they don't care about you. Right. And if your marketing ends up with somebody just not caring one way or the other, then you have failed. Right. You have to be for someone, which means if you are for someone, you are not for other people. Yes. And you have to accept that. If you try to be for everyone, then you're just in the middle. This is really a principle to hold you from stop trying to be everything to everyone as a brand and as a company, right? Like that's right. what this principle is all about. You have to be clear on who I am for and who I am not for, right? And what always happens is you'll have a group of people who you fundamentally don't want to serve, but they're close enough to the type of company or person you do want to serve that they'll complain that you don't have a couple features they need or what have you, right? And your job is to say, that's okay, you know? We are not trying to serve you perfectly. We are over here. We know who we are trying to help today and make this work. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Be for someone, not for everyone. We want to avoid apathy. And to do that, you have to be for something and someone very specific. All right. Last principle of today's show. Uh, before we get to it, if you have watched any of our content on YouTube, we would love a donation from you of hitting the subscribe button. It's free content. We don't need any money. But we have this arrangement where you're in our community, you're in our audience, and we would love for you to subscribe if you watch multiple things on YouTube. You think what we're just talking about is cool, please hit that subscribe button. Don't leech off the free content. <laughs> subscribe. Don't leech off the free content. And what I will commit to you for subscribing is that we will keep making the channel better, better, and better. We are working every week to bring the awesome content. Speaking of awesome content, we have a great last first principle, which is give customers what they want and give customers what they don't yet know they want. You know, these to me are the two sides of marketing. I'm going to say it one more time. Give your customers what they want and give them what they don't yet know that they want. The classic example of this is like, 
people never knew they wanted an iPod, right? People didn't know that they wanted the ability to walk around with a thousand songs in their pocket. All they thought was they needed better batteries for their like portable CD player, their Sony Walkman, right? And that is an example of a product example, but it also comes through in your marketing in terms of the message and stories that you're actually telling folks. People want to be led and they often don't know what they want to be led about until you tell them. What's your interpretation of this one, Karen? If you do the things that customers want, you likely are doing all of the same things as your competitors because they want the same stuff for all of you. And so you have to find out of the things that you can surprise and delight them. I think like to your point, there's a lot of product examples of this, right? No one knew they wanted to stay in someone else's house versus a hotel before they could use Airbnb. And so you have to try to find the equivalent in market. And I think there's like certain things you do that lend itself to like, okay, well, they want these things, just give it to them in a yeah. better fashion than, than anyone else can. So search like is predicated on the fact that you can research things and find things that people actually want. And that's why it's such a great channel to actually turn those people into customers. But like, what are the kind of things you're going to do that are going to really stand out, like and differentiate you from competitors and make your customers, wow, like I never knew I wanted this until I had it. And I think there's a lot of things that you can do to reach that point. Yeah, and the reason this principle is written like that, Kieran, is because you have to do exactly what you said, but you also have to give them some things that they already know they want, right? So like, for example, the classic Tesla example is like, Elon needed to build an electric vehicle. People didn't know that they wanted an electric vehicle, but he didn't ask them to drive a vehicle with three cars, a different steering wheel. He didn't change anything else. The rest of the experience was driving a car, right? So he gave them what they wanted in, in a car. It's comfortable, it's quiet, all the, it's reliable, all of those things. But he gave them one thing they did not yet know that they wanted, which was the electric engine and the efficiency of an electric car, right? And that's what we're really trying to say with this principle is that you wanna give people some familiarity, but you also wanna push and lead them on things that they don't yet know that they want. Be a leader in your category, be a leader amongst your peers. And how you do that is really with giving customers the unexpected. You have to be comfortable with more failure. Yes, I love that. Because there's a lot less risk. If you added two by two, you would have like a minimum risk, a lot of risk, and then you would have things customers want, things customers don't want. And if you're on a YouTube channel, I'm doing actions that you won't get on the podcast. <laughs> and so actually like in the quadrant of like minimum amount of risk is the things that customers want and then the things that higher amount of risk for the things that customers don't know they want like in that quadrant. And that's one way to think about it is like, you need to have both. And this is a really good actually marketing lesson. In your marketing minimum amount of risk, things you know that will work, you can actually change want to work because the things that customers want, you can market those things. And usually those things will work in some sort of fashion. So you want to have like a portfolio of things in there, but you want to have a small amount of things and the things you know will not want because the customer did not ask for these or they did not ask for this type of marketing. But their impact of those could be much, much bigger because the first bucket is really iteration and the second bucket is big swings. I mean, it's not a show if we don't like squeeze a two by two in, right? Like, so we got to get a framework in. And I think that's a great framework for thinking about how you balance both of these. Okay, so that was the final first principle. I'm going to give us a read through of all of them one more time so that you can kind of have a one stop summary of the first principles. Number one, don't make something if you don't know how you're going to distribute it. Number two, be 10x more valuable than the competition. Number three, relevance over perfection. Number four, simplify, repeat, simplify, repeat. Five, avoid being average. Win the internet. All right. Number six, apathy is the worst outcome of marketing. 
Apathy is the worst outcome of marketing. And number seven, give customers what they want and what they don't yet know they want. Those are our first principles today. I promise you, if you start integrating these into how you run your teams, how you build your strategies, they will be transformative to the marketing work that you do, not just the quality of work that you do, but the results that come from that work. These are all the things, Kieran, you and I have learned well over the years. They were hard-fought lessons. We made a bunch of mistakes to get here. But in doing these principles, they can really be transformative. Anything you feel like we missed on the show, Kieran, that you want to get in before we let everybody go this week? I think if you integrate three of those, and I think if you really integrate the simplicity and repetition, yes, it's game-changing. So take one or two and see if you can implement them into your teams over the course of a small amount of time. Love it. Please leave us a comment on YouTube of which first principle is the one that you like the most. Would love to have a debate around those in the comments. And we will see everybody real soon on Marketing Against the Grain. <laughs>